This is Talkback, 721-1290 or 1-800-568-5309. This is News Talk KGVO, AM 1290 and 98.3 FM, KGVO. Missoula's news and weather station. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to... opinions expressed on TalkBack are not those of the staff, management, or advertisers. There we go. Welcome to our number one of the Wednesday edition of TalkBack on this Wednesday, February 21st. TalkBack this morning is brought to you by our friends over at Phillips Janitorial, where they offer both residential and commercial cleaning. And no job is too big or too small. Give them a call today, 406-260-6617. Also brought to you by Y West Store. Out at the Y on Two Smokes Way. Uh, pricing and availability, get that number at 406-510-0590 because at Y West, they're making room for you. Also brought to you by Gomer's U.S. Diesel Parts, located at Palmer and West Broadway. No matter how cold it might get, they have everything you need to make sure your rig starts every single time. That's uh, Gomer's U.S. Diesel Parts. And by Harrington Surgical Supply, where their mission remains the same, to restore confidence and comfort into your daily life. Welcome, everybody. Glad to have you along this morning. And uh, it's Talk Back. Special guests here in the studio this morning. Of course, the fabulous Nick Christensen over there. Good morning, Mr. Nick. How are you? Good morning. All right. And also joining us this morning, our friend, uh, Bob Seidenschwartz, the Montana World Affairs Council, uh, who has been uh, active in so many ways uh, here on TalkBack and here with KGVO and throughout the community. We have a special guest in the studio for the Big Sky Documentary Film Festival. Peter, if you want to introduce her. You bet. You bet. She's Jacqueline Bailon. She's a director and producer uh, for a film called Until He's Back. So, first of all, welcome to to our show and welcome to Missoula. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. You bet. Now, get a little bit closer on that mic. There we sure. go. All right. All right. So let, let's talk about Jacqueline. Uh, yes. Tell us about yourself. Where are you from? Yeah. So I am from Mexico. I grew up in, um, well, I was born in Chihuahua City, which is about four hours north of El Paso. And I migrated uh, to El Paso and grew up in Texas. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I went to college in at Texas State University, which is in between Austin and San Antonio in a small town called San Marcos. And I studied journalism and I basically, after landing some local internships, I started moving east until I got to working at the New York Times. And I was there for a few years yeah. and I just kind of figured... Uh, that, were were that, you a reporter? or I was not. I was a, a web editor and copy editor. Okay. Um, and so I just sat, had like a wealth of knowledge from being a reporter before and just having, you know, as a little immigrant from, you know, Mexico, having to be being able to make it to the, the times was just like it's a, such an incredible experience. It was a, it was a pinnacle event yeah, for you. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, but uh, film and video were my first love. And it's just, I, print just kept on giving me the jobs, but eventually I said, I really want to go back to, to do what I really love, which is video. Right. And so that's sort of what changed, what, lots of things happened, but that eventually led to me making this film. In fact, you, not only did you go east, but now you've gone even further east because you're living in Madrid. That's right. Uh, with Nicholas Casey, and Nicholas is going to be on the show tomorrow. Wow. Uh, another, we, we, we had a wonderful evening last night. We really got to kind of converse and get to know each other a little bit. Just two very lovely people, incredibly talented. So we're fortunate to have you here. Uh, let's talk a little bit about why you are here. The Big Sky uh, Film, no, excuse me, Documentary Festival. Right, Documentary <laughs> Film Festival. Your right. film was selected yes. to be able to participate. So tell us a little bit about that journey in terms of 
How did you, uh, this issue, the topic that you came up with. Uh, so, you know, we're going to have to go to a break. Yes, we'll take a, a quick so commercial we break. We want to give you plenty of time. So we'll go okay. to break, Great. and then we'll come back and let you tell your story. And by, by the way, as, as, as Jacqueline is here in the studio, phone lines are open, and she has a pair of headphones. <laughs> so if you would like to visit with her, talk with her, uh, 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 ask her some questions about her journey, uh, you may be going through that yourself or have a, a, a child or a grandchild is doing the same thing. Hey, this is a great opportunity. Phone lines will be open at 721-1290 or 1-800-568-530. Or you can use the KGVO app to ask your question. We'll be right back after this quick timeout. Dennis Bragg with a forecast from the Town Square Weather Center. A slight chance of rain again across western Montana Wednesday morning. However, we're headed for a stretch of very mild weather as the freezing level climbs to nearly 5,000 feet by Wednesday afternoon. A few sun breaks and highs into the mid-40s for Thursday, a mix of sun and clouds, and then mostly sunny Friday and Saturday. Daytime highs in some locations could be close to 50 degrees, although clear skies mean the overnight lows will still drop into the mid and upper 20s. And we are back on Talkback. 721 is our number. Right now we're talking with Jacqueline Bailon. She is a director and producer. And one of her films called Until He's Back is part of the Big Sky Documentary Film Festival, which is going to be going on here in Missoula. So, Bob, yeah, take it away. I, in fact, your um, film is going to be featured at the Roxy at 3 o'clock today and then again at 8 o'clock tonight. That's right. So if you want to get tickets, which you have to do, Exactly. Go online to Big Sky Film Documentary uh, mm-hmm. for purchasing of the tickets. Uh, it, so well, let's talk a little bit about how did you come to make this film? You, you gave us a little background. Yeah. But something was a spark. Yeah. You know, you just didn't wake up one day and go, I'm going to make a film and be in the Big Sky <laughs> Film Documentary. No, no, no. So tell us a little bit I about I wish it were that easy. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, so I moved to Spain a few years ago with uh, my partner, and we're both, both journalists, and one of the most prominent things headlines that you see constantly is sort of the migrants dying in uh, on boats so migrants from north africa get on boats and try to get to mainland spain but of course uh, a lot of them don't make it and uh i always wondered well, what happens to the people who don't make it and so sometimes these bodies wash up ashore in spanish beaches and uh i was just really curious about why we never go further and try to understand who these people were. And now that they're in in Spain, what happens now, right? What happens? And right. so, um, yeah. That sounds very familiar to what's going on in this country right now. Yeah, so. yeah. So even though it is based in Morocco and Spain, the, it, you know, it's, you could, it, it's about, it's an immigration story. And it's about, right. it's about the aftermath of what happens when somebody leaves and my story focuses on um, what happens when somebody dies. And so it follows the journey of a father trying to repatriate his son back to Morocco after, you know, he got a call that he appeared on a beach in Spain. Right. So uh, tell us a little bit about in terms of this uh, road to discovery, different cultures uh, have different ways of just honoring yeah. the passing of their uh, of their loved ones and family. So... The ceremonies become very important. Exactly. The, the the rituals of being able to have somebody who passes over. So how was that a part of what you kind of discovered when you're making this film? Yeah, so I know that, you know, for a lot of us, being able to see a body and being able to say goodbye is very important. But I think in the Muslim culture and community, 
that is paramount to be able to bury your loved one Mm -hmm. and you don't get closure unless you're able to to say goodbye and see a physical body and you get to bury them all right so let's you when you're talking about then the folks that are coming especially into you know coming into spain they're coming from primarily north africa correct they're coming from all over africa And um, but and but they're traveling all the way, basically from the south all the way north. But of course, Morocco and Algeria are are in the north and predominantly Muslim countries. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So another part of the uh, equation, too, is when you had especially this was like pre-COVID and during COVID, during uh, Syrian civil war. We saw a large surge of people coming out of the Middle East and, and then with Libya. So there, there's very specific reasons, too, sure. that we've seen this migration. The EU says if you can get to a EU country, yes, you have to be taken in. Yes. So this is part of the draw that brings people there is that escaping, whether it's the civil wars or lack of economic opportunities, if you can get to an EU nation. You have to come in, even exactly. even just even just being able to touch the shore and walk exactly. onto the land. That, yes, exactly. And, and, yeah. and then you qualify for whatever benefits or whatever rights are, are available. It's not that easy. It's okay. a lot more complicated. Okay, but I I think the you get to you get to stay at least for a certain amount of time. You know, each case is 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 different, and there are some people that do get in fact get deported. Get, yeah, they still have to go through yeah. the vetting process. They, exactly, right. exactly. Right. But for the most part, you will have, you know, a, a place to stay for the amount that you go through this process. Right. So, yeah. Now, have you had a chance to meet many of these people, uh, the, the folks who were able to successfully make it and, and talk with them and find out what their lives were like that, that uh, basically, you know, pushed them into, I have to get out of here. I have to go someplace where, it's, where I'll be free. Yes. Um, so the majority of of people that you know that have become my friends, they uh, ex- ex- express uh, economic hardship. So there are not very many jobs. Um, specifically, I'm talking about uh, people from Morocco. Um, they lack economic opportunity, mm-hmm. and that is a big draw to want to come to Europe and be able to send money back to to their loved ones. Right. Uh- this is not a story that's unusual in the world. People seek out opportunities. They want better lives. They want something different for their children. But I don't want to get too far astray into into that topic specifically because I really kind of I want to focus on your story and how did it start? So did you just say this is something that um, – I just feel compelled to cover. Was there a moment, a meeting of somebody that really kind of sparked this for you? Yeah, I mean, I think it just came down to me being curious about what happens to these bodies. Like, who who are they and do they ever get to go back home, right? And uh, there is an article in the New York Times uh, written by Nicholas Casey who uh, featured a mortician. And for the last 25 years, he had dedicated his career to um, returning the bodies of Moroccans back to Morocco. So he became, he turned to Islam and he just was able to communicate with this culture and be with these people in these very bad you know circumstances not to mention that he helped them navigate the bureaucracy because at the end of the day they're speaking that or a form of arab and this is spain 
there's no communication there, right? So um, the chances of a, a, a family actually getting their loved one back is like almost 0% chance. And right. so this mortician had dedicated his life to trying to get as many people back home um, after they appeared, you know, on the on the on the beaches, and so so that's that that was sort of like the beginning. that was kind of like the spark yeah. for you. Mm-hmm. So so what do you discover as you're starting to do the research on this? That it's not just as simple as well, you know, we wrap the body and we send them back. There's a very specific ritual. If I, am I correct? That has yeah. to be followed, yeah. and it follows the traditions of. Uh, death situation in Islamic culture. Yeah. So what can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so there's uh, the washing of the body. So the body is washed with, with water before, you know, it, it is embalmed. And then after, you know, the prayers, um, they're they're wrapped in white cloth. And after the white cloth, then there's like uh, perfumes and then there's herbs that, you know, are representative and that are important, important right. to them. So, yeah, we're, we're, we are up against a break, and the, the, this is a fascinating story. We're just getting into it. Now, uh, we are lucky to have Jacqueline with us all the way till 9 o'clock this morning, so we appreciate that. And, Bob, thank you for being along as well. Oh, my so, pleasure. Uh, phone lines are open. If you have a question or comment, we'd love to hear from you. 721 is our number, 1-800-568-5309. Of course, the KGVO app, back after this. Are you looking for less? Need to replace your Social Security card? In most states, you can request one on online with a My Social Security account. A My Social Security account gives you secure access to your personal earnings history and benefit status. You can also get a proof of income letter, estimate and apply for benefits, and more. Save time. Go online. Open a My Social Security account at ssa.gov slash my account. Social Security. Securing today and tomorrow. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. Okay, phone lines are open. 721 is our number. 1-800-568-5309. It's the, the Wednesday edition of Talkback, a special edition of the Montana World Affairs Council on the radio. Bob Seidenschwartz here in the studio. Jacqueline Bailone is is, uh, is with us. She has uh, produced a film uh, uh, for the Big Sky Documentary Film Festival, which is airing twice today. And so uh, you have two opportunities to find out more about that. Go ahead, Bob, please. Yeah, uh, Jacqueline, I wanted to ask you, when we've done a number of shows on immigration over the years, and there's there's some truisms. What what I and I, I I say this is personally, what I've learned is that the majority of people don't want to leave their places of origin. That's right. uh, we're talking about family units. We're talking about communities. Uh, you know the, their their national identity. So when you were again doing research and making this film. How strong was that part of the story? And was there anything that you found out that was kind of surprising or not to you, just with that aspect of it? Yeah, I mean, I think what was surprising is that, you know, and I think I, I feel like I can relate it to the U.S. as well, where you, you as a person, a foreign person, you have all these expectations right so you think that you're gonna land in this new place and that immediately you're gonna hit the road you know hit the ground running and you're gonna start working and be able to start sending that money back but what i found out was that uh, a lot of these people have actually had a really have had a really hard time also finding work in europe you know they they uh, don't speak the language they don't speak the language they it's a different you know they different religion they uh are you know there's a lot of 
uh, racism also that exists and that's very difficult for them. And ultimately, they miss their families and they miss their food. Right. So uh, it's, it's not an easy transition. Uh, would you say that the decision to make that trip um, is not done lightly? And, or is there somehow um, an idea, you kind of alluded to this, that, oh, yeah, we get to Europe and we're going to have jobs and benefits and everything's going to be, you know, wonderful. Is that a part of the equation as well that uh, creates kind of an unrealistic expectation? Or have people come back and said, look, folks, it's not what you think. Well, I, I, I also will say that the, the power of hope is, it, I mean, it's amazing. It's I mean, amazing. I, wh- wh- why do why do people venture out and to do things that could cost them their lives? Well, they have hope. They have hope. Uh, they, they, they have some uh, for it's we're not working here, and so yeah. I I've got to marshal all my resources, my courage, my faith, whatever, venture out where I've never been before, and hope for the best. Yeah, and Peter, they're not taking this isn't Carnival Cruise, right? They're not taking right. uh, these big boats, um, you know, over the, the, these are dangerous for the most part, types of vessels yeah. that often will sink and are unsafe. Yeah, these are very small, you know, boats, size of canoes sometimes, and they they oftentimes have like a very small motor that eventually gives up, you know, halfway through the journey. So I, I, I think that they, I think social media has been very powerful for 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 them in, in seeing that the handful of people that have made it and and that are successful mm-hmm. and that do have the nice car that do have you know the nice home and i think at the moment for young moroccans social media has been a huge sort of place where they search for why why they want to do this because they find like the people who have been successful and they think well that could be me yeah, but, but that could be incredibly as you're pointing out misleading absolutely and, and wh- where's the balance then because people have to have to be hearing of course based on the fact that they're losing losing loved ones somebody has to say wait a minute guys this was not what we were expecting yeah. so where does that kind of get some balance and equilibrium in the equation you know it's a it's probably a very Oh, very com- okay sorry yeah. it's probably a very complicated answer but from my experience of being with with these people for a long time and and spending you know a lot of time getting to know them i think a lot of it they rely a lot on their religion and god so it's if there's if a they, lot of lot of faith there's a lot of faith okay. and if they don't make it it's because that's what god wanted right and so that's that's sort of what I that, that's something that I still have a hard time wrapping my my head around. Right, because yeah. it's uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's putting your belief and your faith, as you're just pointing out, into um, a whole different realm. Yeah. So yeah, how do I, I? I don't. That doesn't fit within the world that I exist in very well. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, especially I I would imagine um, when when you have faith, sometimes that faith is just kind of in your head. But these people are putting their faith on their feet and into the boat, and off they go. Exactly. And and uh, and they're hoping. I'm sure they're hoping and praying the whole way uh, until they until the engine quits or whatever. And as you had mentioned, is there a certain uh, amount of fatality um, in in their in their outlook? Saying you just mentioned, if it doesn't work, well, you know, I, at least I gave it my best shot. Yeah, I mean, like I. 
given that the headlines are probably nonstop, right? Like uh, the biggest headline, I think, uh, last year was the 500 people who died in that boat in in Greece at the same time that the Challenger uh, was missing, you know, at, at the bottom of the ocean. And what was really fascinating about that is that the coverage was very much just on the Challenger and trying to find, you know, who these people. The seven astronauts. Yeah. Um, sorry, not the Challenger. The uh, the submarine. The sub- oh, I'm sorry. Uh, the Titanic. Right. I knew what you meant. Okay. Right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Right. Thank you. My apologies. Um, no, no, no. I, I think I messed it up. So, um, yeah. So that 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 to me was also. It made me feel like I was in the right track of... But it reveals how commonplace these tragedies have become. So uh, when we come back from the break, I want to talk a little bit about people in Spain. How do they see, look at this, uh, reactions to it? So uh, when we come back, I want to go down that road a little bit. And and I also want to find out the nuts and bolts of of how you put this thing together, (laughs) right? Because that's part of the creative process and and very, very important part of your story. So we we still have another half an hour to go. So uh, the phone lines are open. If you have a question or a comment for Jacqueline, give us a call, 721-1290. We'll be right back after this. Dennis Bragg with a forecast from the Town Square Weather Center. A slight chance of rain again across western Montana Wednesday morning. However, we're headed for a stretch of very mild weather as the freezing level climbs to nearly 5,000 feet by Wednesday afternoon. A few sun breaks and highs into the mid-40s for Thursday, a mix of sun and clouds, and then mostly sunny Friday and Saturday. Daytime highs in some locations could be close to 50 degrees, although clear skies mean the overnight lows will still drop into the mid and upper 20s. What was going on over there? Bob the skier is going, no, no it's gone. <laughs> All right. We are back on Talkback. 721-1290 is our number. 1-800-568-5309. Peter Christian here. Nick Christensen right over there. Bob Seidenschwartz here in the studio. And Jacqueline Bailon is with us, uh, who has a film showing twice today, the Big Sky Documentary Film Festival over at the Roxy. Right. So. That's going to be at 3 o'clock today and then at 8 o'clock tonight That's as well. Right. Now, Roxy. will you be speaking during both of those? Uh, film presentations, yeah. taking questions from the audience exactly. as well. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we we just hit on something that uh, look, I don't have an answer for this, but it just it really just kind of like washes over me that in a world of seven point something billion people, at any given moment, there's a natural disaster, there's a civil war, there's just the tragedies or day to day things that happen in life, and. You were talking about, you know, what happened where 500 people were lost. And then there's dozens of other stories where smaller, larger amounts, it becomes so commonplace that we become kind of immune to it. So how, what do we take away from that? What do we learn from that other than the fact that this is going to continue to happen? So I struggle with what does that mean? Right. Um, I can talk about the economics and the geopolitical issues and, you know, just go down the list of cold, hard facts. But when you're making this film, was there something that really kind of like deeply struck you or changed I have, like, your I have thinking? To, I have to tell this story. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think um, just the fact that I I personally wanted to know who these families were and what it the aftermath of what happens when somebody decides to go right. and doesn't make it and then uh, I was also curious about why doesn't any why don't people care and why why don't I see more action or more people trying to help these families get 
these bodies back home because they don't there's not very much there's not funding the eu doesn't fund repatriation costs right. money right. and right. these these kids left you know they paid three four thousand euros to get on this boat and now the parents have to pay another three and a half you know thousand euros to get them back home this is money that they do not have but, but those are choices they made too I mean, you know, it, they, like you said, there's not a funding mechanism or a responsibility of the EU right. to say, well, look, you came here. Did you do it legally? Um, here's, unfortunately, the tragedy that unfolded. And, you know, this is one of the challenges that we see right here in the U.S., yeah. which is you're asking us to be responsible. Yeah. You're asking us, we're already providing benefits, housing or food or whatever the case may be. So did that become a part of what your research and investigation also uncovered, too? Yeah. So when I was, I was, you know, started filming with a mortician um, who had uh, basically had been going broke, you know, over the last 25 years very slowly um, because he was the one paying all the dues and all the fees for mm-hmm. these families. Um, in that process, I met... Uh, uh, Maria Angeles, who is another character in my film, who has a small NGO out of Malaga, uh, Spain. And so she, after her day job, um, she starts picking up the phone. People call her and are asking her, um, did this boat arrive? Or, you know, I'm looking for my loved one. Do you know anything about them? Like a clearinghouse. Yeah. Yeah. So she has very good contacts with like the... Uh, immigration services and just she just has a uh, very good contacts and they tell her this boat arrived this boat didn't arrive or this boat is is lost is overdue yeah yeah. exactly and so i came to realize that there are a handful of people who really care Mm -hmm. and she was one of the main you know drivers to get uh the the boy that I docu- whose journey I documented, um, she was one of the main responsible people what, to what get was his, home. What was his name? Uh, Yaya. Yaya. Yeah, yeah. Okay. his name is Yaya Chiche. Okay. And uh, his dad is Ahmed Chiche, who uh, is uh, one of the main characters in right. my film. Yeah. So has anything developed within the Islamic community that exists in Spain, knowing how this is such an important part of the rituals that have come together to say, look, yeah... Um, you know, we're here to help assist. Those who have made it have a responsibility to those who are trying to, or in the case of what you're doing, to say, hey, uh, you know, these are our fellow Moroccans. Um, We're going to provide some assistance. Did that get uncovered or exposed in any way? No, no. The the focus was really just on trying to document how difficult it is to repatriate somebody um, and the bureaucracy and how long it took. So this boy died in December Mm -hmm. and he didn't get home till like another almost a year later. And and that's going through what Spain requires in order for a body to be repatriated. Uh, It's, you know, I I think of this many, many years ago, um, the passing of my dad, we, you know, we had his ashes. I was able to get on a plane Mm -hmm. and take him back to New York where he grew up and and bury him where he had always wanted to. I don't know that you can just do that here anymore. Um, So there's there's a whole other aspect that you also uncovered as well. Yeah. And, um, you know, and it just it just felt like people did not want to 
move this case along, right? And, and you see the mortician's frustration in the film. Sure. Um, yeah. We got a caller. Oh, yes, we yeah. do. Yes, so let's drop those headphones on. Let's get uh, Dave on the line. Dave, good morning. You're on with Bob and Jacqueline. Go ahead. Yes, I, I hear you talking about immigrants coming there for for benefits of uh, a better place to live. But is there a, in Spain is there a special status for uh, refugees who who fear for their lives if they were to go back home? Like the United States has that. There are laws that say refugees have to be treated different than immigrants. I'm just curious: is there a difference there too? Yeah, interesting. Thanks. Thanks for the call, Dave. Go yeah, on. yeah. Thank yeah. you so much for the call and for your question. So there is there there are programs in place. Um, h- however, you know, I think there's a lot of legalities that come with being able to be a refugee get refugee status so um it's probably a lot more complicated and i don't know if i know the exact answer but there are programs in place and you can become a refugee but i do think that the hoops are really hard to get through Um, Uh, we've had some discussion with this with the difference of an asylum seeker and a refugee Uh, the u.s accepts a certain amount of refugees each year and that can vary from each administration but typically it's where your fear of loss of life. That's right. And often to get to the United States, and now I'm making a bit of an assumption, even to get to the EU and apply for refugee status, is such that you don't just typically get on the boat and become then a refugee. Often you are in a refugee camp for a period of years while you're still going through this process of in order to get to the U.S. or an EU country, as but an for example. those who are lucky enough to make right. it, right? As opposed to asylum seekers, right. uh, it's a kind of a different avenue. We're going to we're going to yeah. take a quick break. With the phone lines again are open. Thanks for the call, Dave, and the question seven two one twelve ninety is our number one eight hundred five six eight five three zero nine. We're coming back right after this with Mitsubishi Electric. Not all people are the same, and yet when we visit the doctor, our treatments don't look that different. Why is that? Because we just don't have enough information to do it better. By gathering health data from one million people, our country's best researchers will be able to develop treatments that are as unique and complex as we are. With this new information, doctors will have a better understanding of disease so they can innovate the next great breakthroughs in medicine. Learn more at joinallofus.org. We are back on TalkBack, and again, a special edition of the Montana World Affairs Council on the radio. Bob Seidenschwartz here in the studio. Uh, Jacqueline Bailon, who is director and producer of a of a film that's part of the Big Sky Documentary Film Festival called Until He's Back. So w- would you mind, real quick, just explaining the meaning of your title? Uh, what, what, what do you mean by Until He's Back? Yeah, so uh, when my, the father, Ahmed, um, who's the father of the boy who who was found in Spain and he was trying to repatriate, and he, uh, Ahmed was trying to repatriate his son back, he said it oft, He said it many times throughout when we were filming that he wasn't going to be uh, happy and his family was not going to feel uh, happy again uh, until he's back, until... Yaya came back home. So, right. yeah. So I had asked you during the break, you met the families, clearly. Yeah. How did that all come about? How did the introductions, talk a little bit about the time spent with them, some of your takeaways? Yeah, so... Um I, I was talking about uh, Maria Angeles, who runs an NGO out of uh, Malaga in Spain. And so her organization has constant, constant communication with Moroccan families. Okay. And it was through her 
um, and uh, Faisal, who sort of became my right-hand man uh, in this process because I don't speak uh, Darija or the Arabic that they speak in Morocco mm-hmm. myself. So he not only introduced me to the families, but you know, just became uh, a big part of this documentary because he is a Moroccan who made it to Spain. He did not get on a boat, but he uh, made it to Spain and was sort of representative of, uh, you know, the, the successful, he, he was, he's successful. And so he wants to give back to his community. So he works with us, with this NGO and, um, help, and helped me with the translations. So what was the reception like in terms of when you met the family? Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. They are the kindest people um, that you know I've I've ever met. Uh, the hospitality is like in Montana. <laughs> it's it's so wonderful, and um, it, they're they're so nice. And I think what was heartbreaking was not just the situation that they're in, but learning that oftentimes they don't know that these kids that their kids have left. So all of this is sort of like a secretive. Um, decision that the the person decides and then they just go Mm. and then they disappear and then the family's left wondering you know what happened and that was the case for a lot of the families that I met right and from the standpoint of contact with the families in Morocco we know now with technology it gets instantaneous did they do they have that type of access and ability so even if your children make it there What's the communication like? Yeah, I mean, there's, there, you know, they have their phones. Oftentimes, that's all they have is like a, a cell phone. Mm-hmm. But I that needs charging. Exactly, that <laughs> yeah. needs charging. Right. That need that you need. This isn't like you know Verizon. You pay a monthly fee. This is you pay when you have the money right. to right. you know charge get ten more minutes or an hour to talk mm-hmm. or press the internet. Um, but even beyond that, what was even more fascinating is that sometimes these kids left everything behind, their wallet, their their cell phones. They they just kind of, I, I don't know if this is rules that the that the smugglers told them. I, I'm not sure, but they, they would leave everything behind, and that's when the parents knew that they've done this. So, and you don't just wake up one day and go, hey, I'm, I'm heading to Spain. You pointed out that you're paying smugglers yeah. to get you into the country. Yeah. And... I'm always amazed at what they're charging, whether it's from people coming up from Central America and Mexico or in many other places that you have to have had thoughts about wishing to leave and purposefulness of saying, I need to get together several thousand dollars. Do you you happen to know, um, uh, have you had a chance to visit with others who have successfully made the trip? And and ask about their backstories. Did you do any investigation? Did you? Did, was there a network of people you had to go through in order to be able to do this? And you know how much did it cost? And and what did it cost you emotionally? And what did it cost your family? I mean, all these are part of the story. Yeah, yeah. So I did. Um, so they are paying anywhere from three to five thousand euros, and I think a lot of them are still trauma about the experience right like you um you think you're gonna it, this is supposed to be like a few hours trip and sometimes that you get lost you, right. you're not to, a navigator explain to, explain to people too morocco and spain are That's at right. certain points very close together very close together yeah. they're 14 at the at the closest point it's 14 kilometers and so i think people think like it's like flathead lake 
<laughs> you know, the width of flat. The, 26 the miles, yeah, north right, to yeah, south. Yeah, right. yeah it's yeah. like... Um, and so I feel like um, they... I don't know. I think they, they just have, again, it goes back to the faith. They just think they're they're going to make it. But for the people that have made it, I mean, they, they have, it's hard. It's hard to be an immigrant. I was an immigrant in the United States. It's hard. It's, it's not easy. Um, but I think they think that if they work hard enough, they're, they're, they're going to be okay. And they, they find that it's worth it because they get to send money back home to, you know, to their, to their loved ones. And for the, for those who are successful. Exactly. Now, what, what is success for a person like that? What does that look like? Honestly, I think it is uh, based uh, on and judged on economic. Uh, That's generally what the measure of success is. So do you have a job? Are you able to support your family here as well as the uh, place of origin? Um, What's the educational opportunities? I mean, it's no different than anything that we would measure as somebody growing up here in Missoula. Yeah. Um, Whatever that may be. Right. In terms of how and how you place your values. We are up against another break here. 721-1290 is our number. If you would like to have a question for Jacqueline, she's here to talk to you and uh, continue to visit about uh, what's going on. We'll get more details about the Big Sky uh, Documentary Film Festival. It's going on all weekend, all, all week, I should say. We're going to come right back with more of Talk Back right after this. By the way, the phone lines are open at 721-1290. That Jason Baker, he's a... Okay, we are back on Talkback. Sorry, I interrupted. All right, Bob Seidenschwartz here in the studio with us in the Montana World Affairs Council on the radio. Jacqueline Bailon is joining us, a, a, a documentary film uh, director and producer of a film called Until He's Back. We've been learning about her story and the story of this young man who uh, uh, uns- did not make a successful voyage across uh, to Spain. And so let's continue, Bob. Yeah, so as, as we're getting closer to our time here mm-hmm. with you, What's kind of the follow-up that you're doing in regards to the story or connections with these families? So is there another story yet to come for you as a filmmaker? Yeah, I mean, I I think I would – what's next is I I think I would just like to raise awareness that this is something that was probably not going to stop. So how can we – you know, how can this NGO – um, continue helping these people get back home. Unfortunately, they're not, they're no longer alive, but they're providing closure, which is extremely valuable. It's culturally people. important to, yeah. I don't know of a country or people that it's not. Yeah. Now, ja- Jacqueline, how long has this, has this film been out? Is, is it just recently completed or has it been out for a while? So, uh, this is the world premiere officially and I'm very excited. Um, it was completed last, I would say, November, maybe December with mm-hmm. having finished sound Great. and color. And what, what, what do you hope to accomplish, uh, when this is released and, and, and on, on a, on a worldwide basis, if you will? Yeah. I mean, I think I just want awareness that this is happening and that, um, people, uh, people leave people behind. We got a caller too, Peter. We do have a caller. Uh, uh, Joe is on the line wanting to visit with you, Jacqueline. Okay, Joe, good morning. You're on Talkback. Hi. I just wanted to make a a point about history and and then I had a little story I wanted to tell. But, you know, for example, Ataturk in Turkey sent all the Greeks, forced all the Greeks to leave Turkey in 1919, I believe it was. And then the Greeks reciprocated by forcing all the Muslims to leave Greece. And there's a lot of history, and uh, 
But, you know, I was fortunate. I got to go to Geneva for a day when I was visiting Switzerland. And uh, I walked in to the uh, UN. And the first place I I came to was Anker, you know, United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees. And I was very fortunate and lucky. I got to sit in on a lecture by two women employees of the UN. And uh, this was a young group of... Uh, law students from Canada that they allowed me to sit in and I I was able to ask a few questions so I asked the question the first question I said was our president Barack Obama uh, has said that if you're afraid of uh, immigrants you must be just worried about uh, uh, mothers and orphans you know and I said uh, meanwhile many of us see the film footage of young uh, military-aged men, uh, the majority of which are coming in, and we question that. And she said to me that, no, the majority, 90%, are women and children, and so on. That, that was fine. Then I asked the question. Now, yeah, the, uh, Joe, i got to tell you, we, we are rapidly running out of time. Okay. Can you wrap this up All in 30 right. seconds? Fine. Sure. I, the, the, when the Muslims attacked different parts of uh, Eastern Europe or uh, the Middle East, they captured cities that could manufacture passports and they had those facilities and so people were able to get passports which were not necessarily accurate as to who they were and the woman said to me from the UN said well we wouldn't question anybody's accuracy because they're if they're a refugee that's worth it all right well Joe thank you for the call I'm sorry uh, we, we have like just a minute or so left in our time together uh, if you wouldn't mind Jacqueline uh, sharing again when and where uh, the film is going to be uh, sh- shown and and of course the whole film festival let's talk a little more more about that. Yeah, so it it is premiering. It's the world premiere, and it is today at the Roxy at 3 p.m. and 8 p.m. So I'd love to see you there. <laughs> yeah, and you can get your tickets online. That's right. I, I, do you have to go to the Roxy.com? Uh, I'm not sure where. No, it actually is like I I, I should know the website, but it, it. Okay, yeah. Oh, go, go ahead, Nick, please. Yeah, it's uh, BigSkyFilmFest.org, and there's a ticket button right there, and you can do single tickets, five film passes, all access passes, yeah, and it's uh, going through the twenty fifth. So right. wonderful. Yeah, and now and now, by the way, it's the twenty first year of the Big Sky Documentary Film Festival. So you're you're part of a very proud tradition. Yeah. So what what in, in the last minute? What's next for you? Yeah, so I am a journalist, and uh, I I work for uh, Scripps News, and mm-hmm. they are the ones who funded the majority of this documentary. So I'm now working on a documentary about astrology <laughs> and the rise of uh, <laughs> Americans loving uh, uh, astrology huh. and going back to India in, in a couple months here to uh, get to the origin of, of astrology. It has been a great pleasure visiting with you. Thank you. Thank you. Really appreciate Thanks for it. having me. You bet. You've been a lovely guest. We Thank appreciate you. it. Thanks, Bob. And see you guys tomorrow. You, you've been lovely uh, as Nichols, well, Bob. Nichols, I'm not lovely as well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to do some politics, folks. Uh, uh, Congressman Ryan Zinke is going to be joining us here in the studio this morning. He'll be taking your phone calls as well. That's coming up in the 9 to 10 o'clock hour. You're on KGVO. Thanks for joining us. Uh, our, our phone number again, 4, uh, 406 uh, 721 1290 or 
1-800-568-5309. Back after. This is Talkback, 721-1290 or 1-800-568-5309. This is News Talk KGVO, AM 1290 and 98.3 FM. KGVO, Missoula's news and weather station. Welcome back, everybody. It is time for our number two of Talk Back. Talk Back this morning is brought to you by Gomer's U.S. Diesel Parts and Service, uh, located at Palmer and West Broadway. No matter how cold it might be getting, Gomer's has exactly what you need to make sure your rig starts every single time. That's Gomer's U.S. Diesel Parts. Also brought to you by Harrington Surgical Supply. You can feel confident in their discreet and knowledgeable guidance on a multitude of products and medical supplies. Why West Storage out of the Y on two smokes way uh, they have a storage unit for you to find out call 406-510-0590 why west storage we're making room for you and by phillips janitorial well they offer both residential and commercial cleaning no job too big or too small the number 406-260-6617 the views and opinions expressed on talkback are not those of the staff management or advertisers hey welcome back everybody glad to have you along this morning peter christian here nick christensen right over there producing talk back this morning and an old friend of the show is uh, joining us here this morning uh, congressman ryan zinke ryan it's a pleasure having you back sir great to be here i did a little swing down in bozeman with deer lodge butte anaconda Missoula this morning in the chamber, and hey, great to, great to be with you, and always good to be on Talk Back. You bet. All right, now, we have folks already lined up to talk with you, but... Hey, we got a lot going on. I, I understand D.C.'s a mess. Yeah, I was just going to ask you about that. You know, we, I, I, we had a speaker, and then we didn't have a speaker, and now what, what's going on? I'm here to confirm it. D.C.'s a mess. Uh, <laughs> totally fixable. Uh, you know, domestically, border raises the number one. And, and to be clear, the President of the United States has the authority by law, to close the border. He has the funding, by law, to and has the resources. So the big argument is changing it from he may do this to he shall do this. So that, that's the argument in D.C. And, you know, we can talk about Ukraine and what's going on, but uh, domestically, you know, uh, I, I would say on the 10th spot, you know, from a seal target thing, we got, we got, we got, we got to secure the border because this, this is, this is out of control. And look, we see it in every fentanyl pill. We see it 125 deaths across the country, largest killer by use. We see it sex trafficking, child trafficking. We see drug trafficking in Missoula, Montana. We see it in every, every city in Montana. And now Texas has already taken steps. To close their part of the border, at least uh, at least uh, uh, one part uh, there down on Eagle Pass, I understand. So, uh, uh, and the federal government is fighting them. It's unbelievable. Um, you know, God bless the state of Texas, and I assume Montana would do the same. You know, we Montana, we we have an obligation to protect our citizens. Uh, and you know, Texas, if the federal government won't do it. You know, but remember Texas is also a republic, right? That's why a Texan flag flies, slides the same level as, as, as the U.S. flag. Only state that does. Um, but I, th- I think, I think, uh, Governor Abbott is making the right point, uh, and taking a stand. On this issue, we have to take a stand. And he, and he may suffer the consequences. Well, I'm not sure what, what in Texas, how many consequences he's going to suffer. Right. Yeah. So, you know, and I, I want to imagine that, that he, he feels pretty strongly as a Texas constitution. you got to protect your people. All right. Let's get right to the phones. Uh, Buck has been waiting the longest. Buck, thanks for holding. You're on with uh, Congressman Ryan Zinke. Go ahead, please. Good morning, Buck. 
Good morning, gentlemen. Uh, I think I'm probably older than Peter, I hate to admit it, but uh, no place I've ever lived, no, uh, no other time that I have the a medium that gives me the luxury of speaking directly to senators, representatives, high-level, high you know, uh, people in, in the state of Montana. So I'm, I'm, I really appreciate that. And about uh, not quite four years ago, I took advantage of it. I, I spoke to Senator Daines, and he'd very uh, proudly announced he, he was instrumental. And, you know, you guys can't do anything individually like at a chief executive, but you have to co-sponsor and have coalitions. But he... He helped remove a condition in Social Security where, where they had deemed if you have help with your, with your banking, and I'll, I'll let you explain this better. I, I, I have a tendency to get off in the weeds, but I think it took the form quite often an adult child would, would uh, have ability to do banking for an older parent. They deemed that an a, a indication of incompetence, and you would be denied uh, a, a NICS check, a, a background check to buy a firearm, on that basis, and then he had had that corrected, but but I pointed out to him that it, it still existed in uh, recipients of the uh, VA benefits, and it's, I, I think a, a flyer that you sent out, I'm pretty sure you now were instrumental in taking care of that, but uh, really, three points, if I may. One, if those conditions can be removed, they never should have existed. Two, for, for like three and a half years, they were applied differentially because I'm sure a lot of Social Security recipients also are, are veterans taking advantage of VA benefits. And third, they, they penalized the, the, the most, uh, the, you know, the demographic group that should most be allowed, the, uh, veterans that were trained by the very government and the use of arms. So, you, I mean, there's a lot of reasons to be frustrated with the government. And uh, But with that, I'll let you... Uh, turn it over your flyer said that you had co-sponsored the veterans second amendment protection acts which preserves veterans second amendment rights and i i think i i have explained that right so thank you for addressing one of my pet peeves and anything you might want to tell the audience about that all right tell you what uh, buck thanks for the call so ryan i i know there's a lot in that so uh, we're going to take a break come right back give you plenty of time to answer his question that's what we do here we also have harry and jeff and Marilyn and nick's on the phone with somebody else so we're going to come right back with more talk back right after this brief timeout. You want the best. Dennis Bragg with a forecast from the Town Square Weather Center. A slight chance of rain again across western Montana Wednesday morning. However, we're headed for a stretch of very mild weather as the freezing level climbs to nearly 5,000 feet by Wednesday afternoon. A few sun breaks and highs into the mid-40s for Thursday. A mix of sun and clouds and then mostly sunny Friday and Saturday. Daytime highs in some locations could be close to 50 degrees, although clear skies mean the overnight lows will still drop into the mid and upper 20s. Hey, welcome back to Talk Back. 721-1290 is our number. Our guest in studio is uh, the Honorable Ryan Zinke, the congressman for the state of Montana. Uh, a couple of uh, very important questions there from Buck. So uh, go ahead, please. Uh, Buck, first of all, yeah, I agree with you. Montana special that, you know, we have a relationship uh, because you can go talk to the governor. You can talk to your representative. You can talk to your Senate. And I think that's part of, of Montana's DNA. And as a representative, you know, you you represent and, and you know what? I enjoy going out uh, talking to people. I don't learn much from DC. I learn, I learn, you know, either being on the phone or talking to people in, in person about what's going on in Montana. You know, and, and as far as veterans, uh, rights, you know, I've, I've seen a couple swings that taken veterans second amendment rights away for one reason or other. I, I feel very strongly those ought to be protected. And you're right, you know, you're right about a, a bill and, and when they, when they put the regulation in place, Sometimes when they write these things, there's unattended consequences. 
and and we we don't we, we can't fix it unless we hear about it, right? So the good thing about constituency relationships is is you know here's the problem, this is how it affects, and 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 so wow, you know I never really thought about that. So how do we fix it? A lot of things we can fix legislatively to make those tweaks, but you know the government thought with uh, really good ideas. By the time those ideas get out to Montana. Uh, oftentimes, uh, they're oftentimes misdirected or they get a little uh, diluted. Do they diluted? And and you know, <laughs> some you know, well well being ideas sometimes right. in Montana do, do a lot of harm when they when they get here. You bet. All right, let's uh, get another call. This is Harry. Harry, good morning. You're on with Congressman Ryan Zinke. Go ahead, please. Good morning, Harry. Where are you calling good from? Good morning, Ryan. Pardon me. Where are you calling from? Oh, I'm up uh, nine mile. But All anyway, right. uh, uh, my, I got a couple couple questions and a comment on the uh, bill supporting uh, Israel and uh, Ukraine. Uh, but first comment, uh, I keep I get tired of people trying to tie or compare what's happening to Ukraine to what's happening on our border. I mean, you being a military man, we know there's a world of difference between a war and a uh, immigration problem. I mean, a war. People are trying to kill people. They're they're destroying this whole thing. This but the uh, immigration mostly just a bunch of people trying to find a, get a better life. There's a possible possible maybe could be possible danger, but in war it is you know. And the longer we hold off on giving the support, the more people over there die. So, uh, but my question is, uh, with the bill coming from the Sen- Senate, uh, are would you? If it was brought to the floor, would you vote for it? And if if and if the speaker doesn't bring it to the floor, would you be willing to join the others? And there, I know there's a way to bypass the speaker and, and actually get it to vote. Uh, that's my yeah. question. And also just the idea that well, you know, people want to conflate uh, immigrants with the drugs too, which are two completely different things. If we stopped all immigration, they still could get drugs in here. So, but anyway, those are my two dr- questions. All right, all right, thanks for the call, Harry. Go ahead. Uh, th- th- let's talk about Ukraine first. All right, uh, Ukraine. We're about 130 billion dollars into it, and to date, I have not received a plan or objectives. Uh, that disturbs me. Look, you know, I'm I'm a, I'm a Navy SEAL commander, and I've been in a lot of missions in my life. I've never been in an operation without a plan or an objective. And believe me, I've asked the highest levels of government. The second the second part is I'm also a, 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 a Reagan Republican, and I believe that. Without world, without U.S. leadership, there's no one else that can take our place. So, as a leader of the free world, there is an obligation for to, to, for freedom, but no blank checks. So, Ukraine, the sixty billion dollars, which which is not just military aid, by the way, there's also civilian pay, humanitarian assistance, and the the aid that, that's in this package also has humanitarian assistance for Hamas. I'm a little sensitive about that. Uh, so again, you know, what's the purpose? So if we do, as an example, let's say we do spend $60 billion in Ukraine, a few problems at home. So are we going to be in the same spot next year? What's changed? So we, before we start spending money on Ukraine, uh, I think our commander in chief owes it to us to say, these are our objectives. And this is the plan to get there, and this is what the $60 billion will will do or so, whatever that amount turns out to be. And there's some accountability about where it goes. Uh, we, we had uh, the former ambassador to Ukraine here in the studio uh, a couple of about a month or so ago. And her, her comment, uh, just to 
gel it down to the, the brass tacks. She said for um, less than 3% of the, uh, of the United States military budget uh, being sent to Ukraine to help what they're doing, uh, you are keeping American boots off the ground. You're protecting that area without without putting a single American soldier's life in danger. And that that, that was her pitch. Well, I'm not sure many Montanans would send their kids, their daughters and sons to defend Donbass or actually could find it. So the the way that I, I, I look at it, um, where we are in Ukraine is a result of a horrendous exodus of Afghanistan. But Ukraine is not the only problem. We got Israel on fire, whether it's the Houthis, Hamas, or Hezbollah, they're all being funded by Iran. Then you got Venezuela. This is in our backyard. This is Monroe Doctrine stuff. And uh, for those Marines out there from the halls of Montezuma, Venezuela is looking awful close about taking territory to their neighbors. And, of course, then you got China measuring the drapes in Taiwan. So our military is only configured for one major regional conflict at one time to fight and win decisively and hold in another. I just talked about at least three and possibly four major regional conflicts that we're facing. So spending money without purpose and without a plan, I think, is reckless. Okay, let's get another caller on the line. This is Jeff. Jeff, good morning. You're on with Ryan Zinke. Please go ahead. Hey, good morning. Uh, I didn't intend to talk about this. I have a different topic, but before I get to it, um, 90 years ago, we had a similar mindset that uh, it was a European issue, what was happening over in, in Europe, and we did not want to get involved, and that resulted in us spending uh an estimated $4 trillion in current day dollars and four, over 400,000 American lives because we didn't nip things in the bud. So um, to have a plan trying to take care of an aggressor is, uh, I think, a little bit uh, uh, non, a non-sequitur, a non-starter. Um, but I, what I called about was... Um, this renegotiation of the FISA Act, particularly Section 702, that yep. allows warrantless surveillance on Americans. Yeah. And uh, as a former member of the intelligence community, that appalls me, and that the bureaucracy is doing this. And then there's an I came across something completely separately, uh, unintentionally, that talked about um, Senator Wyden disclosed uh, documents confirming that the NSA is buying. American internet browsing records, and they're going to keep doing it until somebody tells them that it's illegal. Uh, and that's reprehensible. Meanwhile, the Consumer Protection uh, or Financial Protection Board has talked about rules, a set of rules that would actually give put the ownership of your data, an individual's data, back in the hands of that individual so that they would have control. So all these data brokers who are gathering our information and selling it off to the NSA or whoever it is could no longer do that. So my question is, where is Congress, and particularly the House, in protecting the data rights of us ordinary Americans? Why is it the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is proposing a set of rules that they could rescind at any moment rather than Congress putting a set of laws in that protects our data from being collected. 
All right. And with that, uh, thanks for the call, Jeff. Right, Ryan's writing all that down. We're going to take a break and have him answer all those when we come back. We also have Marilyn, Dave, Roy, and Skip all waiting to visit with, with Ryan Zinke. That's what he, he just mentioned. Hey, I love talking with people, so we're going to give you that opportunity. We'll be right back with more after this. Okay, we had a whole bunch of stuff there that Jeff talked about, and I know that Ryan took notes, so uh, please go ahead. Uh, really, really quickly about Ukraine, and we'll close that out is when I say objectives and the administration comes back and says, oh, I want territorial integrity, what does that mean? Does that mean 2014, the Crimean Peninsula itself? Does it mean 2022? What interior, in, in, in ter- territorial integrity are you talking about? Secondly, when you say access to the Black Sea, I can tell you both Russia and Ukraine view access to the Black Sea to be an imperative. That's a red line. So what are we going to do as a country and but when when they when they give this these objectives that that don't have any meaning uh, that bothers me no blank checks so FISA so here's my position on FISA um, you know and, and believe me uh, as a, as a former secretary as a seal you know we have access to databases etc but I have never had a problem with our agencies and intelligence arms looking at raw data based on algorithms, based on keyword indicators. If someone's looking at how to build a nuclear bomb or make explosives, you know, on the Internet looking for that in these databases, I've never had a problem with that. But the moment this gets boiled down to a name, and that name happens to be a U.S. citizen, and that U.S. citizens residing in the United States or its territories, you need a warrant. And the idea the government is blocked from collecting information, but they're going to go out and buy it, is BS. And and we should all be very concerned about what recently has happened and disclosed with President Trump during his tenure and before. So confirmed uh, by multiple sources, the allegation is this. That their director of the CIA, he knew he couldn't spy on the president over his, or 26 people around him. So he asked others that are in the spy industry to do it. And then report back if they, if they'd be so kind. It's just like, look, you know, I can't spy on them myself, but, but, but here's all the assets and here's how to do it. And I'm just going to turn the screen away. And could you tell me what the screen says? I mean, uh, th- that's outrageous, and that's why we don't trust our government, and particularly on these intelligence branches, and the Fourth Amendment has meaning. Our Constitution, read it again, is that the government does not have the right to our personal papers without due process, reasonable cause, and a warrant. Uh, and they're getting around on this, and I think we ought, to, we ought to stand up and say enough's enough. Okay, Marilyn's on the line right now. Marilyn, you're on with Congressman Ryan Zinke. Please go ahead. Good morning, Marilyn. Good morning. So a lot of us are pretty frustrated out here um, about how this guy sitting in the Oval Office is treating our country and our citizens. And a lot of us feel like there is, well, there is evidence, 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 lots of evidence of the criminal corruption of his family. And I recently heard a, a guy who used to be in a family of mobsters back in New York, but he recanted and repented and turned his life totally around. Anyways, he said uh, this Biden administration and that family holds no candle to the mob bosses that were, you know, up and coming way back in the day. So where is the, Mark Levin's been talking a lot about, where's the criminal investigation on this 
guy that calls himself the president. That's so hard for me to say. He's destroying our country. Uh, Lola Sheldon Galloway, I thought she aptly named it the Death Star. The Democrats are destroying our country in every way, shape, and form. So where's the investigation on this guy as they bring bogus charges against Donald Trump? They are getting away scot-free with probably literal murder. All right, well, that's, that's a good question. So, Thanks for the call. Go ahead. So here, here's a go. So the powers of the House of Representatives. We have the power of the purse. Only, only We will only look at 25% of the budget. We have the power of the purse. Uh, and we can do investigations. And I'll use Trey Gowdy's uh, statement is, you know, a, a subpoena issued by the House of Representatives, about the only way you can get hurt with it if you roll it up really tight and poke yourself in the eye. Because we issue the subpoenas, but we don't in, have the enforcement arm. That's what Department of Justice does. So here's where we are on the investigations. Is that there's an impeachment inquiry because a an investigation um, from the House has to have legislative intent. Uh, the House, as, as part of the constitutional control, can't go out fishing. So we have to have a legislative intent. So the House then took the step based on Jordan and the, and the, and the three, Comer and, and Smith, based on investigations in different pieces, IRS, different shell companies, different payments on that side, judicial on, on, on this side. So all three of these different investigations, the, the chairs, agreed to do a, a congressional inquiry. That's the next step. A congressional inquiry means that the legislative intent is to investigate an impeachment of the president. So that is in the process. And when Jim Jordan, who I like, when Jim Jordan says it's time for an impeachment, we have the evidence uh, locked in and the Department of, of, of Justice has given us what we need, then then we'll go forward. That's where the status of, of the investigations are. All okay. roads lead to Rome. All right, we're going to come right back. 721-1290 is our number, 1-800-568-5309. Congressman Ryan Zinke joining us here in the studio this morning. We're going to take as many phone calls as we can. Uh, we'll get more on when we come back right after this quick timeout. Creative Planning presents people. Need to replace your Social Security card? In most states, you can request one online with a My Social Security account. A My Social Security account gives you secure access to your personal earnings history and benefit status. You can also get a proof of income letter, estimate and apply for benefits, and more. Save time. Go online. Open a My Social Security account at ssa.gov slash my account. Social Security. Securing today and tomorrow. If you served, we want you to get the health care and benefits you earned. We want you to come to VA. There's never been a better time to apply. Under a new law called the PACT Act, we've expanded VA care and benefits to millions of people who served and their survivors. No matter where you served or how long you served, check out va.gov slash PACT to learn more about what VA can do for you and your family. Come to VA. We're trying to solve the problems of the world here in the studio. We're, we're back. Seven seven two one twelve ninety is our number. Ryan Zinke joining us here in the studio this morning. All right, let's uh, let's get Dave on the line. Dave, good morning. Thank you for holding. You're on with uh, Congressman Zinke. Go ahead. Good morning, Dave. Where are you calling from? Uh, Missoula. Uh, first, a, a little bit about history. You mentioned Afghanistan. As far as I know, there was never a plan for Afghanistan. Uh, Four thousand Americans died there, and February twenty ninth. 
2020, President Trump signed a peace deal with the Taliban. March 1st, 2020, uh, he forced the government of Afghanistan to release 5,000 Taliban fighters and the end of, and the beginning of the end started. But as far as uh, Ukraine goes, Ukraine, Russia wants to take over Ukraine. It's simple. It's very simple. You either support his effort to take over the country or you support the Ukraine's rights to, to defend themselves. And there's no in, in between. Thank you. All right. Thanks uh, for the call. Right. One thing, the exit out of Afghanistan from the Trump administration was condition-based. It wasn't open-ended. So the, 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 the decision to consolidate in Kabul, which had one airport, uh, one runway, uh, divest of $80 billion worth of equipment out of Kandahar and Bagram was, was Biden administration. Uh, their exit was Biden administration. I think that led to conditions that, that looked at Russia, and Russia said, you know what, I can take ground. I think Russia's an evil empire, there's no doubt about it. Putin is. Uh, he's a war criminal, 100%. So that that's, uh, you know, on Ukraine. On Ukraine. You know, on, on uh, the other question was, I'm sorry. Uh, Dave, I lost you. What, what, remind me of your, your, your second question. I think, I think we let him go. So I'm sorry. All right. Sorry. Sorry, Dave. Uh, I, I was, I was writing down on, uh, on that. I, I, I can say up front though, looking at it on 2020, what are we going to do with either the Ukraine? It's got, it's got to be condition based. Uh, no blank checks. Okay. Let's uh, move on and get Roy on the line. Roy, good morning. You're on talkback. Go ahead, sir. Yeah. Uh, good morning. Uh, morning, Ryan. Uh, I'd like to say, take my hat off to uh, Marilyn. You know, uh, she's pro-life, and uh, whether you're pro-life or not, you know, a lot of us talk the talk, but very few of us walk the walk, and she carries the signs and everything like, you know, that. And uh, just take my hat off to Marilyn and appreciate her her doing the work and not just talking about it. As far as Ukraine goes, I, would, I agree with you, uh Ryan, that every dollar, every cent, we need to know where it's going. It needs to go for armament and to support the troops in Ukraine, not paying civilian salaries or uh, other things that uh, that uh, haven't ha- haven't anything to do with the, with the defense of their country. Um, the other comment I'd like to make is that I called all my representatives in Washington at the federal level and I asked them, what are you actively, actively doing now to secure our border? I only got one person returned my call and that was Steve Daines. He wrote me a letter and said that he's actively trying to get legislation through to secure our border secure our southern border. So I'd like to know what you're actively doing right now. You know, talk is talk. I want to I want to hear some walks. I want to see some action. What are you actively doing in respect to you, Ryan, of course. I I voted for you. I like you. I think you're good. You're great. But uh, what are you actively doing? What's Reberg actively doing? Uh, what's uh, yeah, so, actively doing? Right. So here, here, here's, here's where we are on the border. Thanks for the call. So the way that it's supposed to be structured is the House passes bills, the Senate picks them up, the Senate makes their changes, and the Senate backs the House. 
So the House passed passed HR two, House Resolution two, and it passed the Homeland Defense appropriation bills. So both policy and the money appropriation to do it. So what did that bill do? It empowered the Border Patrol to do their job. It no no more catch and release. Process in third country. Narrow down what the definition of asylum really is. It built the wall. It was look, you know, the bill looked like about 32 feet tall and about 800 miles long. And it empowered ICE to do their job. That's, that's what, what we, what the HR2 was. So th- that is the, ho- the House centered over the Senate. The Senate has not picked it up. The Senate put their own bill in. Uh, and their bill would allow 1.8 million immigrants illegal into this country before they shut down the border. That's more than the population of Montana, Wyoming. It codified catch and release. It gave work work permits. And what we need to do is incentivize people doing the right way. You know, foreign labor is great, but it needs to be in line. We need to do vetting on it. And, and it's the, there's a right way to do it. There, there's thousands of people on the waiting list that are doing it right. So in this country, following the law, we need to incentivize. Uh, so the bill that came over the Senate is a non-starter. So the last point, an important point, is the President of the United States has full authority under law to shut down the border. He has the resources necessary to shut down the border. He chooses not to. So much of the debate is from wording the law that he may to he shall. And shall, there's no wiggle room. May, he has the authority, he just chooses not to. I appreciate your question. All right, let's get another call in before we have to take a break. Skip is on the line next. Skip, good morning. You're on Talk Back with Ryan Zinke. Go ahead. And thank you, Peter. And good morning, Ryan. Good morning. And I'm down here in Rivera County. Uh, it's always great to see you down here. And um, I can tell you, an, an old Colonel Sperry, uh, you met him in his, in his scooter. Uh, he, he just grins every time he sees you or hears you. And thank you for all of that when it just keeps him, keeps him going. Uh, I wanted to ask you about when you return to Washington in a couple, in a couple of weeks, I think you guys are off for, uh, the, the, uh, one of the things you're going to have facing you, uh, is, uh, we have another uh, funding the government coming up, I think in a couple of weeks after you get back. Is there any news you can give us about that or what direction it'll take? Or is it going to be the same old thing? And and then also, is there any bills coming up that are going to be pertinent to Montana? And you're, you're, our, you're our extended arm into Washington, D.C. and western Montana. Is there anything coming up, like maybe having to do with China owning property? Or possibly, is there anything coming up that will help us after we get a Republican president back? Get the pipeline open. Anything at all that, that can stimulate something good for us here in Montana. And so thanks for what you do, and I'll get off and listen. Thank you, you bet. And we'll, we'll, we'll take a quick break. And he's writing all that down. He's going to answer all those questions. We also have Emmett, Walt, uh, Wingnut, and John, who are all waiting to visit with uh, Ryan Zinke. Coming right back after this quick timeout. Chris Jackamick, I served in the United States Air Force and I deployed three times. So in 2017, I was serving as an Air Force First Sergeant. Our motto in that role is my job is people, everyone is my business. But unfortunately in that year, I would lose my own brother, Lance Corporal Adam Jackamick, to suicide. The majority of veteran suicides are from guns. 
I store my weapons securely, not only for myself, but for my family. Store all your guns securely. Help stop suicide. My service never stops. Brought to you by N Family Fire and the Ad Council. Hey, we are back on Talk Back. Uh, Ryan Zinke joining us here in the studio this morning. And a bunch of questions there. Uh, so go ahead, please. All right. So a lot of this boils down to a shutdown. What does a shutdown do or not do? I am not in favor of a shutdown. What a shutdown does, it doesn't, doesn't affect, you know, 75% of the budget, doesn't affect Social Security checks, Medicare, Medicaid, doesn't do that. What it affects is the, the military. A military pay, uh, gets shut down. Last time it didn't because military was paid in the 30th. That's not going to happen this time. So military pay. Oh, by the way, our border patrol. And I, I, and the other thing is, last shutdown, I was Secretary of Interior. And I had a lot of latitude, what I could deemed, you know, critical and essential. Now, remember, when I was secretary, I didn't shut down the parks. Um, but you know what? I didn't shut down either. Pipeline inspections, ports, all those type of things that make America move. A secretary that wants to do harm and make, and make it hurt can do a lot of damage. As an example, a secretary can go in and say, hey, on the FAA, distance between planes, it says, you know, 2,500 or 3,500. I can, I can make it 10,000. Uh, and I can tell you that'll shut down our, our national air system and cause havoc. So I am not an advocate for shutting down. Uh, I think we've got to restrain for spending and, and, uh, and, uh, that, that's clear. You know, on, on, on what is Montana, I introduced a public lands and public hands bill. Cause look, uh, when I grew up, public access wasn't a, wasn't a big deal because there wasn't a lot of people here. Uh, the woods were, were pretty much just, you know, you know, land, but, but it's different now. And what is a challenge is there's a lot more pressure on our public lands, on public access, on usage, on recreation. We see, you know, roads being shut down all the time. We see snowmobilers and a lot of different recreation being shut out of, of, of public property. We see uh, there's a lot of areas for improvement, but also the condition of our forests. So uh, public lands and, and public hands, um, I'm not an advocate for selling or transferring. I'm advocate, I am an advocate for managing. So, you know, for Montana, that makes a big difference. Also, you know, delisting the grizzlies, especially the, the greater Yellowstone. Uh, I'm not really thrilled about introducing grizzlies again uh, in it without a plan. That's going to some, cause some havoc mm-hmm. on there. There's a lot of infrastructure in there. Montana needs infrastructure. You know, bridges are bridges are falling apart. There's there's 22 of them, I think, in, in Missoula County. You got you know big, little Big Fork out there. If you ever know where Big Fork is, geez, you can't even run a parade without that little bridge down there. And th- that bridge has been condemned. Yep. So there's a lot of local projects uh, that need to be done, and that that comes from a lot of the T HUD transportation, housing, urban development. So there's a lot a lot of Montana things that that are are in those bills. You know, housing. Yeah, geez, you know, Montana across the board. You try to try to find a you know a decent house. So we need incentives out of build. But anyway, there's there's a lot in there specifically on uh, on on Montana centric bills. Okay, let's uh, move on and get Emmett on the line. Emmett, good morning. You're on with Ryan Zinke. Go ahead, please. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Well, I've talked about this before. I think maybe even with you or some other s- congressman. It's about daylight savings time, which is coming up soon, which I despise daylight savings time. There have been some bills that I've supported in the House to kill, to end daylight savings time and put us back permanently on standard time. 
They've always been defeated somehow or stalled. And the daylight savings time, the time changes just really mess up my internal body clock. It's very hard for me to get up and go to church. I do it anyway, but it just throws off my whole sleep schedule and just I feel miserable. A lot of other people do, too. My question is, are there any plans to resurrect bills that would end daylight savings time? I really think that that would be a wonderful idea and still help a lot of people. Well, uh, not as I'm aware of federally. Uh, You know, the the daylight savings comes up, you know, know, back and forth, spring ahead, fall back. Uh, You know, I'd I'd be I'd be happy with a with a Montana, uh, you know, uh, probably, uh, you know, vote. You you, you can do that to see see where we sit on it. Uh, I I don't really have any any big issues either way, to tell you the truth. I I set my clock. I'm I'm a military guy. Uh, I always get some concerned about kids going to school, though, in, in the dark and, and coming home. That's always a problem, especially in rural areas, slick roads. So I think I think the safety of the kids on school buses uh, probably should be the deciding factor. All right, let's uh, get another call in. This is Walt. Walt, good morning. You're on with Congressman Ryan Zinke. Go ahead, please. Well, good morning. Uh, I just a couple of questions and I'll just fire them off and then listen later. Uh, The first question is, should the 50 alleged security people who signed on to the Trump collusion hoax letter, uh, should their security clearances be revoked until they've been determined not to be traitors or seditionists? That's the first question. Second question is, is should the college... Uh, uh, foundations uh, be stripped of their tax-exempt status by promoting uh, uh, discriminatory things like against the uh, uh, Israel and uh, so on. So, thank you. All right, thanks for the call, Walt. Yeah, those are those are tough questions on collusion. Uh, there are followers, and I suspect there were leaders. Uh, the leaders that made the decision and to do spy, you know, the actual spying or, or, or ask other surveillance organizations to spy. Uh, they, that needs to be held accountable. Those, those, those should be in the, those positions removed and investigated. And if they broke the law, and look, if you're finding different ways to skirt around the law, the intent is clear. And in some of the cases, when you're spying on the President of the United States, in my judgment, uh, that's treasonous. Uh, you know, you, yeah, especially for, for, for purposes that are other than honorable. Okay. Uh, and then, you know, f- finally on, on, you know, where we sit on, I, I, I wrote it down. I can't even read my, 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 my writing, uh, on that. Uh, so, sorry about that on the la- last question. That, that's two of them. I, no, it's I okay. dropped. Okay. I should have, I should have been, I should have been backing you up on that. All right. We're, we're actually up against a break. So we have Wingnut, John and Ed all waiting to visit with you. Coming right back after this one minute timeout again. A big thank you to Congressman Zinke for spending a full hour of the studio with us. Well, we'll be right back after this one minute timeout. Old Sawmill District. Okay, we're back on TalkBack. 721-1290 is our number. Uh, let's get right back to the phones. Uh, oh, well, we did figure out yeah, what Walt wanted to ask about. Sorry about that. It was tax exempt on it. You know, if they break the law, yes. Uh, if they don't break the law and they're operating with it, uh, you know, I think they can keep it. 
But you know what? It's what's been really good is they've been at least called out, and a lot of it is public awareness. You know, they have a they have a donor board that that you know enthusiastically at one time embraced some of these alums that uh, you know have have now lost their way. So uh, yeah, I I think uh, if they violate the law and, and and maybe the regulation needs to be changed a little to, to tighten up so they don't deviate too far away from the intent. All right, let's uh, move on and get to Mr. Wing Nut on the line. Mr. Nut, you're on with Ryan Zinke. Go ahead, sir. Is that, is that a first or a last name? It's a combination. <laughs> but to make this real brief, because there's others waiting, is currently uh, the bureaucrats within the alphabet agencies are using the um, Federal Register and the rulemaking process to promulgate law, basically. And I would like to know in the vein of Roy is what is doing what is being done currently to change that and in lack in lack of that what are the plans to change that because that is a serious um misdirection of what congress is all about thanks a hundred percent thanks for the call sir so what happens when an administration can't get it through law they try to misuse the regulation part of it and we've seen that Probably in Montana, the one that, that sticks out is Waters of the U.S. As the administration uh, wants to... That was dig- the Obama administration, wasn't it? Well, and, and, and put back right in with the, with the Biden administration. Right, as right. They, want, they want jurisdiction over cow ponds, intermittent streams, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, extraordinarily overreach. So Congress, what we can do is Congressional Review Act, uh, and, and we can rebut and nullify that rule. So you would think waters of the U.S. would have flown through because it's just not Montana. It's Florida. It's most states that have water. And I think most citizens don't want a federal agency run around the backyard in, the, in a mud puddle. Uh, so uh, on, on this, it passed the House. It passed the Senate. They did not get enough votes uh, to override Biden's veto. Now, uh, the House, we have a third. We don't have command of the field. We don't have the Senate. We don't have the administration. Um, but one thing about rules is rules can snap back. If you put something in law that, that you know, you can, you can change the law, but it's harder. Uh, with rules, if you got an administration like this one, I believe, is, is out of control on their rulemaking. Uh, they're trying to jam things through. Uh, the next, next administration uh, can reverse those rules. And I, I, I would believe that a lot of these rules that running are contrary to Montana and contrary to, in many cases, American greatness, whether it's energy or critical minerals or or our foreign shores, a lot of these rules can be snapped back. Okay, let's get another call in. This is John. John, good morning. You're on with Ryan Zinke. Go ahead, please. Yeah, hey, good morning. It's an honor to talk to you, sir. Um, had a quick comment and then a question. Uh, I guess as far as the funding for Ukraine goes, um, I guess, uh, to me it just seems like we're out of money. So I don't know how we can really give more. Well, I mean, I can, I can tell you on, on, on that one, we have a $34 trillion debt. We spend more on interest than we do Department of Defense. So any money we send them is going to be in the form of a loan because that's, that's what we're doing right now. We're borrowing money. You know, again, on, on Ukraine, is it what's the plan and what's the objectives? Uh, and spring's coming. So we don't have a lot of time with this. And they are running dangerously low on ammunition, but so are we. Uh, you know, not, not on, on open airlines. I can tell you our stockpile of what I would say 
critical weaponry is is run dangerously low and a lot of, and we face again the you know Venezuela possibility but Israel is at war and we're providing 24/7 air cap uh for Israel so they don't get you know invaded from from you know Lebanon and that's expensive I can tell you and we got five carriers now under underway in the Pacific uh those carrier battle groups are enormously expensive and and, and we don't have the fuel for them so Anyway, that's that, that's kind of where we are on, on 34. Anything we give is, as you to your point, uh, we're borrowing for it. Okay, one more quick question. I think we have Ed standing by. Ed, uh, got just a real quick minute here. What's on your mind? Okay, I'll go to my short <laughs> question. Good comment. morning, Ed. Uh, good morning. About uh, daylight savings time. Back in my working day, I really liked daylight savings time because it gave me one hour more after work to go fishing okay so i you know i, really I like where you're going on this i i liked uh, i like that ex, extra hour now i can go fishing anytime uh, <laughs> that i'm retired so it doesn't bother me anymore but i like being out there at 11 o'clock at night and still having some light uh, to see those uh, flies float down the river okay that would be it all right, well, thanks, you know, thanks if the, for the call. If, if the most controversial issue in Montana is daylight savings time, I think we're in pretty good shape, guys. <laughs> We've got a uh, minute and a half for you to give your uh, get on the stump and tell us why uh, we should vote for Ryan Zinke. Well, I, I think you ought to vote for America. You know, I, I, I think most people recognize we're in trouble as a country. But again, I've never seen anything that's not fixable. Um, but how we're going to fix it is we're going to have to pay attention and everyone's got to do their duty. Uh, you, know, you know, in a military sense, every, every every person to their station. So, and that station should be where you're most effective, and where I think I have been more effective is in the House of Representatives. Uh, the good thing about the House is you do represent. It's a two year contract. You know, it's, the Senate is six to life. Uh, you know, the House is two years. But I I enjoy the job, and you know, I'm a believer that we can get things done. And when you're going to, to battle, you know, experience helps. That's also, you know, where I've always sat is this, is I don't bend on the Constitution of the United States. You know, as a military uh, man and commander, um, I gave an oath to defend both foreign and domestic, and I, and I don't bend. And then, I, then on Montana, what's in the best interest of Montana? And a lot of times that's judgment. Sir, so, thank you for, for being with us. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Indeed. Thanks for spending all this time and answering good, all good those questions. Good to be with calls. you as always. You bet, sir. Thank you. Okay, Nick, what's coming up on tomorrow's fabulous program, sir? Uh, from 8 to 9, uh, Bob will be back. We're going to be talking with Nicholas Casey. He's a staff writer at the New York Times, and he has uh, spent a decade as a foreign correspondent in Europe, the Middle East, and Latin America. So that's 8 to 9. And then 9 to 10, we're back with the Missoula Chamber of Commerce. Mark Loesch and a couple uh, members of the board there will be joining us. They'll be on from... Nine to ten o'clock. So we are reestablishing a program that was very popular, and then uh, Mark is back now. So we're going to keep keep that going. So thank you, Dick. Appreciate that, mm-hmm. and thank you all for your calls. You guys are awesome, and uh, we'll see you tomorrow morning, bright and early at six. A sour wine. We'll have Montana morning at six a.m. Have a great day, everybody.